We are to be informed by the truth of what is soon to come. The mountain of the Lord will be established higher than every other mountain and God will be king. And this bears fruit in the present. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Living in Light of the Mountain from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text is found in Isaiah chapter two, verses one through five. There, the prophet Isaiah records a vision of God's sacred dwelling place, established upon the highest of all mountains to which the nations shall ascend, and from which the law of Christ shall resound. In the light of this coming mountain, Isaiah calls upon the people of God to repent and walk in the paths of the Lord. What else can we draw from Isaiah's prophecy of old for our lives today? Let's consider that question as we hear part two of Pastor Paul's two-part series called Living in Light of the Mountain. God will not fail to establish his mountain. His people will be with him and he will triumph over every opponent of the gospel. And just like snow melts off the mountaintop and feeds hundreds of tributaries, so this one truth should inform hundreds of areas of your complex and busy life. The singular truth of the establishment of the mountain in the latter days informs the way in which you go about your work, the way in which you think upon family, the way in which you think upon relationships and money and recreation, and on and on it goes. We are to be informed by the truth of what is soon to come. The mountain of the Lord will be established higher than every other mountain, and God will be king, and this bears fruit in the present. And we can go further. As if that were not enough, we can make a second observation as we stand in the gallery of Isaiah and look at this painting of the mountain. We can make a second observation, and that is that the nations shall stream to the mountain. Look again at the text. We read at the end of verse 2, All the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. To the scene is of the mountain of the house of the Lord, high and lifted up. And as we gaze at this, this painting, it almost seems like the face of the mountain is moving. As we stand in this, this gallery and we look at the mountain of the Lord in Isaiah 2, it seems almost like the face of the mountain is moving. And so we step closer and we look more intently at the brushstrokes and we soon discover it's not that the face of the mountain is moving, but rather we see that there are thousands upon thousands of people on the mountain. As we step closer, we see that the mountain is covered with worshippers, that there is every nation on earth represented on the mountain. As we step closer, we see that every skin color is found on the mountain and every ethnicity is there on the mountain. And if we could put our ear to this painting and listen in, we would hear every language on this earth being represented as they sing with one accord to the Lord. The picture is of every nation represented. 
going to the mountain. And notice the language of Isaiah. He says, nations shall flow to it. He's not being careless with his verbs here. Nations shall flow to it. From Eden, there flowed out a river. And Ezekiel says that one day a river will flow again from the house of the Lord. But Isaiah says with some kind of prophetic paradox that the people will flow upwards. It doesn't make sense. I was at the beach just the other day and I'm in the water and I'm looking at the ocean and the, the mountains are behind me and I'm thinking through Isaiah too. And, and I thought the last thing that would happen today is that this water would come in and flow up those mountains. And the only way we can reconcile this is to understand that Isaiah is showing us something of the supernatural magnetism inherent to the mountain of the Lord. The worshippers are irresistibly drawn to the house. This is the victory of the gospel in so much as he who is called cannot say no. And thus we have a glorious picture of every tribe and tongue and nation arriving at the mountain and flowing up. And why are they ascending? Come now. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So externally, the picture is of thousands streaming to the mountain with one accord. Now, if we could look internally, as it were, if we could take some kind of spiritual x-ray on every heart of every worshiper on the mountain that day, we would see that the inclination of every heart is set directly and unwaveringly towards the Lord and his law. See how this flips Genesis 11 on its head. Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. There is a, a yearning in the, in the hearts of men to get back up to the mountain, to the sacred space. And so they build this, this construction of elevation. The problem being they're doing it to make a name for themselves. They do it without any reference to God. And so he scatters them. And Isaiah 2 flips that on its head and it says, there is a day coming when God calls them back to himself. And all the worshippers with one accord are set towards the Lord and his law. They all say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord so that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in obedience, that we may walk in his paths and honour him. And notice not only how it flips Genesis 11 on its head, but see how different this is from the world in which we live today. Eight people were killed in London because of terrorist attacks. Victims that died because of a system of belief that did not seek to elevate the name of Yahweh. As they died, there was not one inclination of the human heart towards the God of Isaiah. There was no inclination towards his law. There was no desire to walk in his paths. And though the, the sins in LA may be somewhat different, the root issue is always the same. The depravity of man knows no bounds. There is no regard given to the creator. There is no regard given to his statutes. And so it is upon city and city and city and city. We live in the kingdom that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. And Isaiah says, you hold on, Christian, because the mountain will be established. And in that day, unlike this day, everyone will desire to honour the Lord and walk a path of obedience. Every government will one day establish itself based upon the law of the Lord. 
God's elect will come with hearts fully transformed and the whole earth will teem with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And this glorious image must inform your worldview. When you trust that this will happen, then there are implications for your life today. What would those implications be? Apart from a a general assurance that we can live a life that honors Christ regardless of the cost, I think we can be more specific and there, there are many ways in which we might tease out an application for our daily life. I would suggest that as you consider the mountain and the nation streaming to it, it allows you to be boldly evangelistic. As you think upon this vision and the reality that one day there will be thousands upon thousands of worshipers streaming towards the Lord on his mountain. As you consider the reality today and you you try and join the dots and say, how do we get from here to there? And you think about what the scriptures teach, that the way in which God has ordained for lost and broken sinners to be brought into his community is through the church as you realize that we, the people of God, bear the responsibility of making the saving gospel known, as you think upon the end, then you are emboldened in your evangelism. You are strengthened to make Christ known. The Bible already makes this connection for us. You see, if we think again about the storyline of the mountain through Scripture, it's not long after Isaiah 2 that we reach Isaiah 11. And it is in Isaiah 11 that we see the root and the shoot of Jesse. That is the Messiah, the Christ. And what is he doing? He's standing on a mountain and he's raising a banner and all nations are streaming to him. And then as we go on further, we get to the Gospels. And at the end of Matthew, it's no accident that Jesus Christ ascends a mountain. And it is from the mountain and nowhere else that he says to his disciples, you must go. You must go and make me known. You must go and represent me. Go and make disciples and teach them to observe the law. Why? Because one day I will bring them home. And so as we consider the mountain, we see that there is an inherent evangelistic implication for the church in Isaiah chapter 2. When you know the end, then it affects the way in which you live today. Is it easy? No. Does it require sacrifice? Absolutely. Will it incur suffering? Quite possibly. And that is why over the last few decades, the church in the West has become increasingly more private. The church has become more and more private, more and more introspective. We have gathered together and observed our collective navel as if that is some kind of holy endeavor, which it is not. We've been shielding ourselves from the world, slowly starting to believe the lie that the lost are the enemy, rather than believing the truth that the lost are victims of the enemy. The church needs a robust biblical worldview. It is informed by the end, specifically that there is a mountain and all nations will flow to it. There will be a multitude of worshippers with transformed hearts. And when you are gripped by this truth, when this truth overtakes you, then Christianity will stop being a private endeavor and it will become confidently public. The church is to be the most public of institutions, which is just another way of saying, tell people about Christ. 
Tell people about the mountain. Tell your Jewish neighbor about the mountain in his scriptures and how the storyline continues. And tell your Muslim friend about the mountain and how they've misunderstood Jesus. Trust in the Lord and make the gospel known to those whom he has placed in your life that are not yet saved. And give yourself to the labors of making disciples, understanding that as you do so, you are entering into the privilege of bringing people into this vision. When you think rightly about the end, then you are better equipped to live in the present. Third observation, the mountain shall be established, the nation shall stream to it, and then thirdly, the law shall go out from it. Look again at the text. End of verse three, for out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So Isaiah continues to develop this image for us. We see the establishment of the mountain and we see the multitude of worshippers streaming to the mountain. And now added to that, sounding forth from the mountain is the law of the Lord the perfect and sweet and pure and clean law of the Lord. And it brings about societal transformation. So what we see here is the external extensive actions of the law, having observed it in the worshippers and their hearts and on internal level, we now see it going out externally and extensively to the whole of society. Which is to say, as the law goes out, God makes authoritative announcements by it. He judges between nations and he ensures perfect harmony on an international scale. As his law resounds, warfare disappears. Notice he says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. That's the means of war, the weapons, and they're gone. He says, nations shall not lift up sword against nation. That's the practice of war and it's over. He says, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the mentality of war and it's gone. This age is marked by universal peace. And did you notice what they turned their weapons into? You see, Isaiah could have said, there are no more swords in this time. And the point of universal peace would have been made, but he doesn't say that, he goes beyond and says, they'll turn their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And we, we ask the question, why? The answer is because we're going back to the mountain. This whole thing began in Eden, in the garden. And here we are again going back to the dwelling place of God, to the paradise of God. We don't need swords because there is no war, but we do need some gardening instruments. It is agricultural abundance, knit tight together with universal peace. It is a day when there is a transformation of society so radical that we cannot presently imagine it. I saw a bumper sticker just the other day that read, Guns don't kill people, people with religion do. And there is so much to say in response. And I thought and thought about it, and it, it is so sad that Christianity is so grossly misunderstood and so quickly labeled with other religions that the truth of universal peace 
that this God will one day bring about is completely lost to the outside world. When the mountain of the Lord is established, there will be complete peace. And this is a great encouragement, to be sure, to look around and to know and to trust that war will not rage forever. But more than that, in the sense that Isaiah uses this vision, we must allow it to correct our thinking, to challenge us on a personal level as we think through the potential applications from this one vision, from this one observation about the law going out. I would suggest that you must individually strive to align all the more with the word of Christ. If it is true that one day soon his law will go out and transform society and everyone will walk in perfect alignment with the requirements of God, if that is one day soon coming to pass, then the logical inference right now for the people of God is that we strive to that end, that we strive to obey God and the requirements that he has given us in the text. And again, the Bible has already made this connection for us. We think back to the fact that God has been using mountains throughout redemptive history. We trace the storyline yet further. And when we come to the Gospels, it's no accident that Jesus stands on a mountain in Matthew chapter 5, and it's from there that he issues the law. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount from a mountain. And there is a backward-looking sense to that. Absolutely. He's positing himself as a new Moses to the people of God. But the Sermon on the Mount is very forward-looking. And it is foreshadowing this great day when the law will go out definitively. And there will be perfect obedience in the land. And so for God's people, we strive to that end. Not that the law is the means by which we are saved. Not that our obedience to the law is the means by which we are saved, but our adherence to Christ's law does evidence our salvation. It does evidence and testify to the fact that we are part of God's people. This is maybe the aspect of the Christian pilgrimage that has been most lost in the church today. How flippant Christians are with the concept of holiness, the call to live a holy and distinct life. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It is telling just how many people read that as a reference to Christ's imputed righteousness, which it is not. It is a call to live a holy life. John Owen wrote a catechism for children. He said, how can I be saved? Answer, repentance from sin, faith in Christ, and holiness. First time I read that, I was confused. I thought, is this some kind of salvation by works? And of course it is not. John Owen is drawing on the fact that if you are not demonstrating your membership to God's people today, then it is unlikely that you will be there on the last day. Your striving towards holiness defines you as a member of this community. And so it is for this reason that Isaiah concludes, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Live a holy life now. Here's the vision. If you want to be there, you strive to demonstrate your membership. You live out a life that evidences your salvation. And we note again the strategy of the prophet as we Round off in verse 5, we notice what he's just done. He's shown us the end, a glorious vision of the mountain. And he's saying, you allow this vision to affect your walk today, verse 5. 
And so as we close, there are but two questions that remain. And the first is whether you will indeed participate in this scene. The mountain will soon be established, the nations will flow to it, and the law will go out from it. Your attendance here week by week doesn't mean that you're going to be part of this scene. It is only when you've laid down your life and inclined your heart in faith towards Christ, who died on a cross so that sins may be forgiven. It is only when you have done that that you can know that you will be part of the multitude. If you are here this morning and you don't know Christ savingly as Lord and Savior, then do not delay any longer. A second question for the people of God is whether you have truly embraced this vision. In the busyness of our lives, we give so little time to think, but we must. The art of meditating on God's word has been lost. We must sit and ponder the vision of Isaiah 2, along with many, many other texts that inform us about the future. We must sit and consider the realities of Isaiah chapter 2 until our brains ache until our hearts sing and our souls rejoice for the realities which are soon to come. And it is only when this text has overtaken you and possessed you, and you know that which you are headed, you know the end, it's only then that it begins to bear fruit in your life. A superficial cursory reading of the text won't result in any change. Isaiah says, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Consider the mountain." so that you would be better informed to live in the present. When you do, then the gospel will find a strong voice in your life. When you do, then you'll be equipped to live in light of the mountain. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the reality of the mountain. We trust in the fact that very soon the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. On that day, there'll be a multitude of worshippers flowing up the mountain, and the law will sound forth down from the mountain. Father, help us to be those that think much upon the realities of Scripture. Work in our hearts that we would think much upon the realities of that which is to come. And as we do, I pray there would be fruit in our lives, just as you intend for it to be so. As we think about the future, we are better equipped to live in the present. Father, work in us that we would be bold with the gospel and make it known, because one day there will be a multitude of worshippers flowing up the mountain. Father, work in our hearts that we all would strive to obedience, obedience to your word, knowing that one day the law will go out and there will be perfect obedience. I do pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, in a saving way, be gracious to them. Save them, that they too would participate in this vision very soon. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. How can Isaiah's ancient vision inform us today on the way in which we ought to live life now to the glory of Christ? Pastor Twist observed this vision from the prophet to teach us that because the Lord has and will surely continue to establish his kingdom on earth until its final consummation, we can live today with much confidence and hope in Christ. His promises will be fulfilled. When we think rightly about the end, then we're better equipped to live in the present. 
Isaiah's vision empowers us to walk in the light of the Lord, to make Christ known to others, and to strive toward holiness. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. You know, there's lots more to hear and ways to grow on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. Then press Broadcasts on the homepage to find an amazing archive of gospel teaching from Pastor Paul Twist. While you're on our website, would you consider helping support this ministry? Click Donate on the homepage to make your gift of any size. Hope you'll join us tomorrow as we begin a new series with part one from Pastor Paul. The series is titled, Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.